0: I am Jeff Biggers, I am one of her pastors, and I'm really excited about being here this morning. I'm going to move this because I'm going to start throwing stuff around and banging stuff. Kind of pumped up to be able to talk to you this morning. We're going to hear a little bit from God's Word. Um, We're going to continue in worship. That'll be fun. Uh, We're going to share communion this morning, all good things, Um, and we'll have some time of prayer. So why don't we start with that? Let's start with some prayer. Yeah, like fire from heaven, we call you down, Holy Spirit. Just settle upon us right now. We, we want to be intimately in your presence. We want to hear what you have to say to us. Jesus, I even get a sense that even whisper to the Holy Spirit and he just speaks right into our hearts. And today as we, as we hear from you and open the word and, and take a look at what the Bible says to us today, I pray that we would have ears to hear and listen to what You say and and apply it into our hearts. Let us be distracted into You for a few minutes now. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Well, a lot of good things going on um, and a lot of tough things going on. Uh, We're in a series right now called Turning Points. Those encounters with Jesus. And today, I want to walk us through an encounter, an encounter in the Scripture that's an encounter of, we'll call it desperation. Maybe desperation and determination. That kind of encounter. You might think, I wonder how common those are. But I think they're actually more common than we might even imagine. Can you think of a moment... That you or someone close to you was in at a in a storm of desperation, that there was something just moving and stirring that was so hard that you'd reached a, a desperate moment. Yeah, who can maybe that question asks is even the room can't think of a moment like that because if you can, please come over here because we got we want to talk to you. Every one of us have gone through moments of desperation. Whether it's health, employment, somebody else, a hard birth, a loss of someone close, a relationship that's broken. Man, what a place to start a sermon, right? I've just taken you to the dark places of where you might have been. You know, and during these years here with you, I have heard many of your stories. As a matter of fact, with some of you, have actually experienced them with you. And I was thinking back this week of um, even things in my own life, and then I reflect on some of the stuff and some of the stories I hear, and nothing compares. I, it just amazes me what, what we've endured. What is desperation, though? What, what, what is it? it? You know, that hopelessness that you've been overcome by a sense of futility that, that there's just no direction to go, that maybe you're so despondent that you want to just give up. And when we're desperate, it can lead to lashing out <laughs> in the Rash attempts of futility trying to make something happen. And many times those desperate efforts are are spurred on by negative feelings or a, a sense of despondency that you just can't go on. But at some point, at some point in these desperate moments, do you remember when you arrived at a point and said, that's it. It stops right here. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm going to make a change. Has anybody been there like that? Yeah. You just get the point. That's it. Now, at that moment, you don't have a list in front of you and say, okay, here's what I need to do. You're not even sure. But you know, it's got to stop. I've got to make that change. I've got to overcome this situation. I need to be rescued from my situation from a person from a problem but you need help and you want change and there's something that just clicks inside of us that boils up inside of us so that's uh, uh, here we go we became determined we decided we're going to respond and we're going to act And so we become determined with this firmness, this conviction that I'm just going to go, I'm going to tackle this, I'm going to take it on. I don't care what the odds are. I'm going to move against it. And determination seems to grip us. Others may not understand it around you. Now you can be determined to do something good, right? And you can be determined to do something bad. And you can be determined maybe to do nothing at all. So what's the difference between desperation and termination? When I first started thinking about it, I thought, man, they're like polar opposites, right? <laughs> you're in a desperate kind of situation and then you're determined you're going to move forward. But the more I thought about it and the more I read and kind of looked into it, I realized there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. In one sense, desperation is like, all is lost. And for some, determination out of that becomes, well, what is there to lose? Right? And when you think about it, I read more than one psychologist report that says, actually, the only difference uh, between determination or desperation and determination is the outcome. From a worldly stand, standpoint, you think, what What does he mean by that? Well, when you're desperate and you reach that point that you want something to change, and you lash out and do all kinds of efforts against the challenge, the impossible, make a change, and you actually succeed, how does the world label us then? Oh, they were so determined. They overcame unbelievable odds and there's movies made and book you know all kinds of stories about how you overcame but in the same instant the same desperation you make all these efforts and move forward I'm going to do this I'm going to go out and somehow you fall short generally the world looks you like oh instead of determined efforts they look oh desperate futility they tried and fell short Oh, they might make the same, write the same books, make the same movies, and remember the Alamo, and you'll be an inspiration to others, but you didn't quite make it there. You know, there's been some pretty famous failures that have resulted in some great determination. Uh, Kevin, can you light it up for us for a minute?
1: After being cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room and cried. He wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old, and his teachers said he would never amount to much, was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas at age 11 he was cut from his team after being diagnosed with a growth hormone deficiency which made him smaller in stature than most kids his age At 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started, a high school dropout whose personal struggles with drugs and poverty culminated in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and that he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality rejected by deca recording studios who said we don't like their sound they have no future in show business His first book was rejected by 27 publishers. His fiancée died, failed in business, had a nervous breakdown, and was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, You've never tried anything new. <coughs> and it may be go, go beyond
0: trying something new. Sometimes failures sweep in on us. Harsh words. Bad experiences. Rejection. <laughs> you can't get away from it. I believe that this idea that all is lost or what is there to lose kind of philosophy around desperation determination is really only one dimensional for those of us with a spiritual point of view there's something much more profound I've observed some things about desperation I've seen desperate people And their desperation leads them to accept their state. That they're less than who they really are. Take less than what's available for them. And I've seen desperate people reach out for help in ways they'd never imagined before. Desperation can make one lose focus and give up. Or desperation can intensify one's efforts to do what's the most important. Desperation can drag somebody down into defeat. Or it can inspire one to press on against all odds and any consequence. Desperation can wear you down to the point of absolute resignation. Or it can ignite an attitude that sparks a fire in your stomach that I'm going to move forward, I'm going to take this on. And so, two key questions come out of this why do some people never emerge out of their desperation? They've even succeeded through hard times before. But this one just took them down. And the other question is, how do we move from desperation into a determination? But a determination not just flailing out in efforts and trying to rescue yourself, but one that's meaningful. One that's meaningful and matters. How do we do that? Well, there's a woman in the Bible. When she encountered Jesus, her turning point at her place of desperation may help us understand it all. If you have the bulletin insert, it, you might find it helpful. Uh, on the front side of it, there's some points to note. And on the back side, I've actually captured the text. But before I go into the context of our biblical story today, let me give you the background. Our story is only found in the gospel accounts of Matthew and Mark. And they're very, very similar. And what I did is I captured it on one page, both Matthew and Mark together. And if you want to see the difference, Mark is underlined and Matthew's not. And in both accounts, the predicate stories to each one of these are very, very similar. And so if you'll just listen with me just for a minute, let me give you the background. Jesus has been down in Jerusalem. And he's moved back up towards the Sea of Galilee, through the wilderness to the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. All kinds of events have gone on. But one of the events that he's made news of to him is that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed by Herod, been prison and been killed, and he discovers this. You don't think that doesn't hurt? and then another event's happening as he's approached the Sea of Galilee, people are hearing that he's there, they've heard about the miracles and things that he's done in Jerusalem, and they're gathering around him hordes of people pressing into Jesus on every side Matthew says it like this when the people recognized Jesus the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed In the stories, we get the idea that Jesus didn't come into Capernaum. He actually stayed out around the Sea of Galilee. People were coming in, and there's a story where he fed thousands with a few loaves and fish. He ended up trying to get away and even walked across the sea at one point. And he comes back, and people are just pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. And then there's another event that occurs right before our biblical story today, and that's this tells us in Matthew that some of the Pharisees, some of the ones he's been in confrontation with down in Jerusalem, and other Jewish leaders of religious law, head up to the Sea of Galilee where he's at and start questioning him. And they say this, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore the tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And they really press into Jesus like, man, you guys, what are you doing? <laughs> and Jesus said, and why do you, by your own traditions, violate the direct commandments of God where he says, honor your mother and father? And if anyone who doesn't honor their father and mother is to be put to death. And you do this by taking money that had been dedicated to take care of your parents And you say, no, now it's given as a special vow to the Lord and to the temple. And you don't have to provide for your parents. And if you don't think Jesus had a little bit of emotion and fire in his belly sometimes, listen to what he says. You know what? Isaiah was right when he talked about you. You cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions, you hypocrites. You can watch all these Hollywood soft movies of Jesus, but when you read what he has to say, sometimes it's really tough. And I don't know how you say you hypocrite in a nice way that somebody, <laughs> you know, you just can't walk and say, you hypocrite? And they're going to say, oh, thank you. You know, oh, I get it. You're just you know, trying to empathize with me for a moment. And he calls them, you hypocrite. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And then it says he turns to the crowd and said, listen. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Now, this is the whole context of a story that I'm about to read to you, but it's important to understand what's going on here. Then it says the disciples took Jesus aside and they said, Do you know? That you've really riled up the Pharisees with what you just said? That you've really made them mad? You've so offended them. And essentially Jesus says this, ignore them. They're blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person leads another, well, they'll both end up in a ditch. That's how Jesus talks about the Pharisees and speaks to them. And Peter comes to him, Hey, can you explain what you were trying to say to these guys? And he goes, oh, Peter, man, you still don't get it? You still don't understand? Look, anything you eat passes through your stomach and goes right to the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And so ends this background story of Jesus surrounded by all this, and we come to our text today. And let's read it together. Well, I'll read it and you listen. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus leaves Galilee area, leaves the borders of Israel, goes about 40 miles to a coastal area of what's now modern day Lebanon to a seaport area. Mark adds, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Jesus is laying low. Ah, maybe that background's helpful. Maybe he's laying low because of his travels up from Jerusalem. Maybe he's laying low because of all the crowds pressing in to him. Maybe he's laying low because of the Pharisees pressing into him and seeking constantly a confrontation about the law and what's going on. Maybe he's laying low because it's time just to recover from a little bit of hearing about John the Baptist and what happened, the one who had heralded his own ministry and started it. And maybe it's time just to lay low, to spend some time and mentor his disciples. Maybe it's control a select all and it's all the above and Jesus just wants some time away have you ever wanted time just to get away have you ever wanted time just to get away has anybody not wanted time just to get away we all do come on guys we all want that moment and Jesus did too he was all human and he wants a time and he's trying to get away and the story goes on like this next verse right away a Gentile woman who lived there came to him and fell at his feet pleading. A Gentile woman. Some of your versions might say a Canaanite woman. Uh, Someone who's a non-Jew. But by the writer of this, what they're trying to say is this was a woman who's from the Baal-worshipping culture, the Canaanites. One of the early conflict... Uh, peoples with Israel. They worshipped the prince of Lucifer's demons. They had incorporated all kinds of immorality and purity into their worship practices and into how they actually conducted their, their temple sacrifices to the point where they would sacrifice their own children to Baal. And so a woman from these people came to Jesus and fell at his feet, pleading. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, she says, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. She's pleading. She's crying out because of her suffering and her pain. An interesting contrast, isn't it? Those who would sacrifice their children, but now we find... A mother who's pleading for hers, and the actual word here is interesting because it's—it says it's the same word, the shrieking of a raven. She wasn't just falling down and casually asking Jesus; she was all but screaming at him, "Please do something for me. My daughter is tormented. My child is tormented by a demon. Is there anything a mom wouldn't do for a child?" their own child that's suffering. Not the mothers I know in this room. I've seen the way you've responded for your children. And she's begging and pleading and screeching like a raven. The next verse, Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Don't you love it when your prayers are answered immediately and quickly? Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away. They said she's bothering us with all her begging. Now who's now who's doing the pleading? His own disciples. Just just make her quit. Make her go away. I'm tired of a racket. We, we've had plenty of that. We don't need her. She's not even one of our own people, maybe. So Jesus is quiet. But we're going to find out he's listening. And when you have a request before God, and when you've come in Jesus' name, he may be quiet for the moment, but would you please zero in on this promise? He's listening. Next verse. She, Since she was a Gentile, born in Syria and Phoenicia, there's a change of words here, we lose it all in translation, since she was a Greek-cultured, Hellenistic person, since she was a worldly person of the culture of the day, Jesus said to this woman, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. I was sent only to help God's lost sheep the people of Israel. How's that sink in for you? Wow, man, is that politically correct, Jesus? Is that all you came for? No, actually there's something beyond this. Yes, she was Greek, or Greek cultured, worldly culture. Yes, she was not a Jew. But there's an underlying theme that's been going on for about 2,000 years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. God's made a plan to redeem the world, his people. And he calls out a man, Abram. And he says, through you and through your seed, through your offspring, he's going to put a redemptive plan in place. And that became the people of Israel. And the prophet spoke of this deliverer coming through his people and being revealed through his people, a Messiah, an appointed, anointed one coming. And Jesus knew his call. Actually, God needed Jesus to come up through Israel. It fulfilled all of his words that he had said in his own prophecies. And Jesus is just stating back to her, actually, I've come through my people as God had planned. First to my people. And the word first there is important. Because we'll find all through scriptures, even in these early words with Abram, who became Abraham, that God said, and through you. Every nation and people of the world will be blessed. Oh, Jesus hadn't forgot that. He lays this out to this woman. You know, first I should take care of my own children, right? My own people. The next verse says, but she came and worshipped him. Pleading again Lord help me the idea that she came in as if you will worship kissed his hand fell to her knees fell prostrate to the ground prostrate to the ground and said Lord please help me and isn't that where we are in our desperation right initially it's like God take this situation make that person go away or <laughs> relieve all of these things. Just give me the finances I need to recover from it. But then there eventually becomes a point where desperation is like, just help me. Just help me. Let's not get lost in what's going on here. It's her, it's her child. That she's seen and experienced in a way that maybe we can't fully and don't fully see and understand all the time here, but it happens. A tormenting of her own child by an evil spirit. In the midst of this pleading for help, Jesus responds. I believe he looks her in the eye and he says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. How does that feel? You know, in the time, in the culture, you'll see some commentaries talk about and you'll see some references where the Jews of the time did look on those who were outside of Israel as feral dogs, as wild animals, as those who practiced all kinds of impurities and sexual moralities, worshipped other gods, sacrificed even their own children. But that's not the word Jesus uses here he actually uses one of a diminutive kind of word about a dog, almost like a puppy. Like the family pet. And within the reference of how he says it, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the family dog or to the puppies. I believe I'm right in this because it doesn't seem she is offended by it at all. And she responds to him, well, that's true, Lord, but even, even the house pet, even the dog, are, are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table from their children's plates. And Jesus said, Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And her daughter was instantly healed. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Why did I give you so much background to the story? Because it's important to the context of what's happening here. The Pharisees had come. They had everything right on the outside, by heritage, lineage, the people who they were, the God who they worshipped the laws that they held and memorized. But when they encountered Jesus, they rejected Him. And they responded in their desperate state with legalism, tradition, judgment. And you know the irony of it is the sons of Israel reject the son of David, the king, their king, and deliver. But what about this Gentile woman? A Canaanite, an idol worshiper. Greek cultured, worldly as worldly can be. You might know a few people like that. She encounters Jesus and she believes in Him. And in her desperation becomes a determination with faith and hope that this guy can do something and he's going to do it and I'm going to stay with him until he does. She who didn't know and didn't come from the right background encounters Jesus and trusts Him. So what's the difference? What makes her determination more than just well what's there to lose mentality because you could look at this story and say she's just pleading and screaming help me nobody else has been able to do it maybe you can do this but you get the idea that Jesus didn't respond to her, well maybe you have a faith she was convinced Jesus could do something have you ever been in a desperate state a desperate state you wondered like can anybody help me our story is telling say yes there is someone his name is Jesus And when we encounter him, you need to believe and read stories like this because he's helped people. And his intention was come to help. Oh, it might have been first to his own people, but that was to be revealed so he could bless the whole world. She was shrieking like a a raven. And she surely and truly believed that Jesus could heal her daughter. The Bible speaks of this kind of this kind of determination as one founded in hope and faith. Hebrews 11.1 one says faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. You think she believed that? It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. When you add hope and faith to the impossible then desperation is not some flailing effort to succeed or to survive. It becomes a confident assurance that you're on God's path. That He is with you. And that He will bring you to that place of victory. Now I'm not speaking about wild hope and blind faith this woman had a confident hope about the ability of jesus to heal and a faith that he would deliver on what he could do you know time to time we find ourselves in desperate storms don't we or we know that they're gonna come and we build walls and barriers to try to put some protection around ourselves and our families We'll encourage our kids to go get a college education. We'll tell people, have at least three months savings in the bank. Uh, Take first aid training. Always use a life jacket. Wear your seat belts. Have health insurance, auto insurance, life insurance. Do wellness checkups, exercise, take vitamins, follow a diet. Embrace church attendance. Go often. Bible study every day. Pray all the time. Do things for stress management. Have accountability partners. Go to life groups. List goes on. Uh, they're really preparatory kind of things because they're not preventative, are they? In, li- in, in this life, I'm convinced of one thing, well, many things, but one that I'm going to stand out right now, that there are spiritual forces that are opposed to the kingdom of God coming in our lives. On every level, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, volitional, by your will, relational. In every aspect, there are forces opposed. And Jesus has prepared and equipped us by sending his own Holy Spirit to come and live within us for those who believe. The Holy Spirit fortifies our faith. It assures our hope. It gives us the strength to move forward. Jesus is the one who never fails, guys. Jesus is the one who never fails. He desires and is able to rescue us. He's overcome every desperation. Every desperate moment including the ultimate stronghold of death itself. I know every one of us goes through a session of desperation or seasons of desperation in our lives. He's able to rescue us. I know we go through them because our own mistakes. Sin. Throw that word out there. And the influence of evil in the world ensures it's going to happen. But there's a determination based on faith. A faith in God and a hope that His victory will rescue us. The writer of Hebrews said, run with endurance the race God set before you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? You see, that's why the Gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. When we recognize our utter despair and accept the determined work that Jesus did. We know that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. When we understand and realize that every point in our lives wherever we're at we come to a desperate point Jesus is always there and he can and will rescue us I don't think we can really fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news until we realize it's actually both ends if you've not come to that desperate point of knowing that I can have a relationship with God and you think you can still do it by what you're doing and showing up here and the effort you give, then you're not at that desperate place. Until you get to that desperate place that you know, that you know I can have no relationship with God unless He intervenes and I'm hopelessly lost without Him, you've not got there. But when you do, When you arrive at that place humbly and say, I need Jesus, I need Him and trust in Him, there's breakthrough. And the determination is there because there was a determined man who went to a cross for you and me. He was determined and nothing was going to get in His way and He was going to go to that cross and take on my sin and yours. How's that for determination? The Scriptures say that it's a good thing, He said, his disciples I'm actually going to go away now because when I do I'm going to turn to my father he sits on his right side and I'm going to ask him and he's going to send you the Holy Spirit here's how we conclude Jesus himself told his disciples on the very night he was betrayed and had just excused Judas to leave the room he tells them this here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I've overcome the world. Later on in Corinthians, Paul writes, Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin and it power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like the worship team to come up now and we're going to spend some time in worship. And as they're coming up, I'd like you to think about these three things. Are you at a place of assurance that you've come to that desperate moment of your relationship with God? By that, that you know if it wasn't for Him, you wouldn't have a relationship at all. If you have then right now in your heart say, praise God that you've delivered me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. And if you've not, would you come see me or or Rob today and let us talk to you or one of the other people up here later on? We'd love to talk to you about that. The other point is maybe you right now you're in some kind of storm of desperation. There is a rescuer. And there's a determination that's not a flailing futility but a determination based on hope and faith in Jesus Christ. And I couldn't help but think maybe someone here has a child today or a grandchild or someone close to them that's under torment. There's a rescuer. His name is Jesus. Would you stand with me and we're going to spend some time in worship?